We're in Revelation chapter four, and we're gonna get, well, you got, I gotta, I think we're gonna get all the way through Revelation chapter four. There's a, a lot. How many have gone ahead and read ahead in like the whole, like there's 11 verses, but it is packed. It is absolutely packed. So um, we may or may not get through this whole message today. I mean, there's, there is so much there. So um, I'm so glad that we uh, teach verse by verse because we get to just we get a we get to chew on and eat all of this wonderful stuff that God has given to us and so it's really really been good and um so um the 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 theme really um well the title of the message today let's throw that up there got us on the throne in 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 control (laughs) I mean you can't you can't get away from that theme in fact the throne of God is the theme of this chapter and really the theme of all of Revelation. Um, as we read through these first, you know, these ver- chapter four, verses one through 11, the chapter, you'll see the, the throne of God is mentioned 12 times, a dozen times. And um, as we read through all of the Revelation, uh, over 40 times the throne of God is mentioned. So, a lot of those times are right here in this chapter. So 40, over 40 times, some would say as many as 46 times. So um, I didn't go through and count them all in all of Revelation, um, but I did with chapter 11. In fact, I want us to count that together. Uh, we'll go through, and as I read through Revelation chapter four, uh, we're gonna count off the number of thrones. In my Bible, I went through and just highlighted all in orange. <laughs> Probably should have done purple or something, but that's all right, that's all I have. So anyway. Let's go ahead and stand up, and, um, and I feel like I want to pray before and after we read the scripture. And so as we stand, Lord, boy, thinking about the fact that you're on the throne and you are in control, um, boy, that, that should just wreck us in so many ways. Um, it should wreck us in reminding us that you are, that there's nothing that happens that doesn't first pass your counsel. And so we can trust everything, Lord, that you're doing in the earth, even and especially when we don't understand it, because there's a lot that we don't understand, Lord. So even when and especially we don't under, when we don't understand it, Lord, we, we declare that we trust you because we know that you are on the throne and that you are in control. And so, Lord, uh, at the kind of the macro level, but in the micro level in our own lives, Lord God, we declare that we trust you as well. And we trust you when we're doing well and we trust you when we're not doing so well. Because we need to trust you both because in both cases you're on the throne and you're in control. Uh, In both cases your grace is sufficient and you can be trusted and we have a, a secure place in you because of what Jesus has accomplished. And so your throne, Lord, we focus on your throne today. We, we focus on your sovereignty. God, you are in control. Uh, nothing is, surprises you. Nothing takes you back. Um, nothing causes you to scratch your head. Nothing causes you to wonder. Uh, or to, you, don't, you don't second guess yourself. You don't second guess anything. You are in control. You are sovereign. You are on the throne. And you, well, you always have been and you always will be. That's just the reality. We're going to see that as we continue to study this revelation, Lord. So... Help us, we pray, to get that right. <laughs> In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So we're going to read through Revelation. Yeah, stay standing, please. Um, chapter 4. 
<laughs> Verses 1 through 11. Come on, get up, Doug. There you go. Somebody help Doug out, but you're already up. Good, good, good. And so as we read through, <laughs> you're going to see the word throne. You'll see it 14 times. Twice it's in reference to the the elders, the 24 elders sitting on their throne. So we're not counting those because that's not God's throne. We're going to count the 12 times um, where the passage is talking about God's throne. All right. So you guys with me? Who can, who are you feeling awake enough to count? Who can count up to 12? All right, good. Here we go. Revelation chapter four, verse one. After this, I looked and behold, a door standing open in heaven And the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the spirit and behold a throne. (laughs) There we go. Thanks, Steve. Appreciate that. Is that you, Steve? Oh, that was Keith. Okay, good. So we got one. I was in the spirit and behold a throne stood in heaven and one seated on the throne And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. And around the throne were 24 elders, and seated on, don't count this one, and seated on their thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. And from the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne... (laughs) were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four, oops, sorry, Nine. nine, are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with a face of a man and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight and the four living creatures each of them with six wings are full of eyes all around and within and day and night they never cease to say this is what they say holy 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 is the lord god almighty who was and is and is to come verse 9 and whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne <laughs> who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who, were, who, who is seated on the throne, 11, and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. And so, Lord, as we've read... Um, that you are on the throne, and as we will see, that you are in control. I pray that that would be the reality in our own personal lives, that we would continue to keep you on the throne of our lives, that we'd be humble and uh, subservient and uh, bowing our lives before you, giving you permission to lead, be Lord, and guide our lives in all things we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. So how many times is thrown mentioned there? Twelve times. Twelve times. So now we'll just kind of unpack it a verse at a time. No more counting, so you, you don't have to worry about that anymore. Revelation 4.1, after this I looked, and, and, we, and if you want to get the, the unpacking of this verse 
Because last week we just did one verse, Revelation 4.1. And uh, so you can go back and watch that message online if you'd like to and, and kind of get the full context of this teaching. That would be really helpful. After this, I looked and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here. <laughs> come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the spirit and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. The Apostle Paul describes a similar situation, a similar experience. Um, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 2 through 4, it says this, I, I know a man, <laughs> I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body, I, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which, may not, uh, which man may not utter. So the apostle Paul talks about this man who went to heaven and he went to paradise and to avoid exalting himself we know from the context of that verse, Paul talks about his experience in the third person. I know a man. He's, Paul's talking about his own experience in the third person to avoid exalting himself. What does Paul mean when he says the third heaven? Are there like three different heavens? <laughs> well, in a sense, there are. Um, in a sense, there are three different heavens. And we see as we read through the scripture, uh, three different heavens talked about throughout the scripture. The first heaven is the sky that you can see. So you look up and you see the sky, like the clouds and the birds up there. And Genesis 1.20 calls that heaven. And God said, let the water swarm, Genesis 1.20, God said, let the water swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So where the birds are flying, that's the expanse of heaven. So that would be the first heaven. The second heaven is outer space. How do we know that? Well, the Bible tells us what the second heaven is. This is other heaven. Psalm 8, 3 and 4, David wrote, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, outer space, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Have you ever done that? Uh, Seth and Jeremy and I were out on a backpacking trip this week. We spontaneously went out. Was it Tuesday night? I think we went from Tuesday to Wednesday. And um, we got out very late uh, because it was spontaneous and we had to get packed up and get on the trail and all of the, the above. And so we hiked most of the time with headlamps on, probably three, about three hours of the hike was with headlamps on and we're traversing this six or seven miles up into the mountains to backpack and to camp for the night. And so when we would stop, we would turn off our headlights and it was pitch black out there. I and mean, part of the reason is our eyes were still trying to adjust to it, but it's just pitch black. So then you look up and you see the, the moon and the stars and you see the expanse of God's creation and it puts the whole wide world into perspective. It's like, I am so very small. <laughs> so when we're talking about outer space, the stars and everything that's up there, that is called the second heaven. The third heaven is what we are seeing here in this passage today. 
Uh, Jesus told the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. That's the third heaven. First uh, Peter 3, 22, speaking of Jesus who had gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels and th- authorities and powers having been subjected to him. And so the third heaven is what we're looking at today. So Paul experienced this in the spirit or in the flesh. He doesn't know, but we know that John is in the spirit when he sees what's going on in the throne room, in the third heaven, where God is sitting on the throne. And by the way, where he is absolutely in control of everything. God is on the throne and in control. So number one, we must honor him as God. (laughs) We must honor him as God. He's not a bigger version of you or me, a smarter, stronger version of you or me. He is God and you are not. (laughs) He is God and I am not. And we're not even close. We're made in his image, but we're not even close. We must recognize his holiness I mean, imagine what John is seeing. Imagine what the Apostle Paul saw. Just being in the presence of God. We're going to see that there can't even be given a good description. The, the glory of God is so beyond us. There's no words. There's not good clarity to even communicate what was seen, but symbolism is given. Words are given that help us kind of connect to what John was experiencing. We must recognize his holiness, and then we must accept that he desires our holiness as well. He is holy, and he desires our holiness as well. Part of recognizing God's holiness is recognizing our inability to be holy. Have <laughs> you ever tried that? Like you're good for a day or two days or a week or a month and, right? You just fall on your face, right? We try and we gotta try. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And so we try and in our flesh, we do okay some days and not so good other days. We, we do okay some days and fall on our face other days. And so in recognizing that he's on the throne, we recognize his holiness and how holy he is. He desires for us to be holy and we try, but we will fail. We can try and we must try, but ultimately Jesus, he died on the cross because he knew that we would fail. He died on the cross because we're not able to in our humanness to be holy. And that is, by the way, the requirement to be in the presence of God. Holiness. We must be holy to be in the presence of God. There's nothing that can be unclean in the presence of God. So as I said last week, Jesus took the penalty for my sin and yours. He took that penalty upon himself. The wages of sin is death. Let's not forget what the penalty of sin is. It's death. It's separation, eternal separation from God. So as I said last week, Jesus took that penalty for my, of my sin, our sin upon himself and in turn imputed his righteousness to us who accept him. So we actually have righteousness imputed to us, credited to us. We become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus because he's good, not because we're good, because of what he did, not because of what we have done. So we must honor him as God, recognizing his holiness, but also fully accepting what he has done for us. So many struggle with sin 
And in that struggle, end up falling away from the Lord or kind of drifting from the Lord. In the struggle with sin, because we're just so imperfect altogether, imperfect on this side of heaven, we struggle and we think that that means we can't be close to the Lord. That means we must just fall, fall away, backslide, move away from the Lord. Your struggle with sin, let me just clear some things up here. <laughs> Your struggle, my struggle with sin is meant to bring us closer to God, not push us away. So this is good news. Our struggle with sin is actually meant to draw us closer to God because we recognize that in and of myself, I am completely incapable of being righteous, pure, perfect, holy. But Jesus... He made it possible. He imputed his holiness and his right. He gave me all of that as a free gift because I believed him and accepted what he has done for me. So your struggle with sin is not, don't don't make it worse by falling away from the Lord. I was talking with somebody this week and this person had been out of church for a couple weeks and maybe that person's here today. I don't know. I, I, but he, he was out of church for a couple of weeks. I said, dude, I miss you. Where are you? And he didn't respond to my text message at first. So a few days later, uh, I text him again. I'm like, dude, where are you? Are you okay? And he came back with, hey, I'm doing okay. I've been better, but I've been struggling. I'm like, dude, the whole church is filled with people who are struggling. You're in great company. Get back to church. The enemy wants to lie to you because that's what he does. He's a permanent liar, and so he'll lie to you and say, oh, you blew it. You don't belong with that. No, you do. We're here because we've blown it and because we continue to blow it and because we desperately need the grace of Jesus in our lives. And so that's why we're here. We, we, we're not here, and the world gets it backward, and the enemy is a liar and tells the world. That, and so the, you, know, you tell people, I'm going to church. People think immediately think, oh, you're holier than thou. Oh, you're better than me. The reality is, is I'm probably worse than you. And so because that's the truth, I just need the grace of Jesus. And so I need to get where I can get more of the grace of Jesus. I need to get to a place where I can understand truth about Jesus because it's in the understanding of truth about Jesus that I find freedom, grace. I I find what God wants me to, to find. So John is in the presence of God and is probably beginning to understand something about God that I would venture to say he has never fully understood before. I think when we're standing in the presence of God, we're going to be like, wow. I mean, I think we're going to fall over like dead people and just, and then maybe somewhere in the third, fourth millennium, we'll, we'll wake up and we'll be like, I'm still here. And it's all because of Jesus. All right, so John's seeing for purposes that we're seeing and for revelation purposes and clarity purposes, John is seeing something. He's seeing the absolute perfection and beauty of God. And beyond the absolute perfection and beauty of God, he's seeing his absolute need for grace. And as we examine the scriptures and as we look at what's going on in the heavens 
we see and we can see, we, we avail ourselves to the same information, the same revelation. We, we can see the absolute perfection and beauty of God and also our, our absolute need for his grace. And so John is here, he's in the third heaven where the throne of God dwells. Now, John describes God to the best of his human ability. <laughs> Verse three, and he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. And so let's unpack that a little bit. It's all pictures of, um, that point to us the, the um information about who God is. Paul told Timothy before we get there in 1 Timothy 6.16, he told Timothy that God dwells in an unapproachable light whom no one has ever seen or can see. (laughs) So Paul understood and he tried to communicate like God dwells in unapproachable light which no one has ever seen or can see. So the best description we can hope for is, a, is vague at best. And so we, he had the appearance of Jasper. In Revelation 21, 11 describes Jasper as a clear, it's clear as crystal, uh, maybe speaking of God's purity. So uh, we know that God is pure. And so this symbolism kind of reinforces that and speaks to that. And so this Jasper's like perfect, it speaks to his perfect purity. Uh, carnelian, a red stone, and it's only mentioned two times in scripture. Um, we're not sure what that means, but one author wrote that this red stone, the color of fire, might represent the fire of God's righteousness and wrath. So it's both, right? It's like God's mercy and his righteousness and wrath. I mean, it's all of those things rolled into one. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Where is the rainbow first mentioned in Scripture? We just read about the rainbow in our third day of our reading plan. Back on January 3rd, we were reading about the rainbow in Genesis chapter 9. How how are we doing with our reading plan? Doing okay? Listen, if you <laughs> that's fair, right? It's honest, right? So it's, if you haven't jumped in, I was just talking to a guy this morning. And he said, I haven't been doing the reading, but I'm going to jump in and just start where you guys are now. And so now it won't be our reading plan. It'll be his reading plan. And together we can read through it. So you don't need to go back. I think sometimes we need to go back and try to make up. This, that's not the gospel. The gospel is like the Lord takes us right where we are when we move forward. <laughs> but sometimes we lament the past and we think we got to go make it up somehow. That's not the gospel at all. We misunderstand the gospel if we think we got to go make something. God just takes us where we are in all of our brokenness. And he moves us forward by his grace. And so now if you haven't picked up on the reading plan, go to the back of the room. Do we have those back there at the info center? And you'll get this reading plan. Pick it up. Yeah, Jeremy's got them. Go back and look at Jeremy there. Everybody turn around and look at Jeremy. Jeremy's the handsome guy with the beard. You don't want to look at Jeremy? Half the group wants to look at you, the other half. So I haven't checked off day, what's today? I don't have my glasses with me. Whatever today, I haven't read today because I was just busy this morning doing other preparation for the message, but I'm going to read later on today so I can check the box. But it's not just about checking the box, right? (laughs) It can't be just about checking the box. 
Although we're going to check the box because I like to check the box, right? You ever get something done? You're like, ah, check that off the list, cross that off the list. All right, so checking the box is kind of satisfying, but it can never be just about checking off the box. You got to invest yourself in the reading. And so uh, if you're reading something that's hard to read, just go through it slowly, intentionally, and just say, Lord, you can do what I do. And just say, Lord, would you just teach me? Because there's building blocks in parts of scripture that we don't understand that will help us understand. We, we may not understand them now, but we'll understand other parts of scripture and how it all fits together when we just navigate through the more difficult parts of the scripture. So the rainbow is first given by God in Genesis chapter 9. Remember, we read about it on day 3. and you, If you missed it, just pick it up where we are now. It's part of God's covenant promise. Interesting, mentioned there, right before, right at the judgment of the world, and now it's around the throne of God in this space and time right before the judgment of the world again. There's a connection there, I think. Genesis 9, as part of the covenant promise he made with all creation that he would never judge the earth with the flood again. So that's what the rainbow's Rainbow's about, right? It's a promise. It's part of the covenant. We talked about the covenant last week, the importance of the covenant. So the, the rainbow represents God's covenant. <clears throat> Wearsby wrote, Warren Wearsby wrote, judgment is about to fall. Judgment is about to fall. The rainbow around the throne is a reminder that God is merciful even when he judges. When God makes a covenant... He takes it seriously, and so should we. I think, and we're going to unpack this a little bit more, but just right now, I think the, the rainbow is around the throne because it's pointing back to Genesis chapter 9. And we're going to see that there's more in Revelation chapter 4 that points back to Genesis chapter 9. Everything's connected, folks. Everything is connected. I, I heard, no, I'm not going to go there. It's totally frustrating. But I heard a pastor who was just... Big pastor, like pastors, mega church, thousands of people, and he doesn't have any confidence in the Bible. I'm like, dude, get out of the ministry. You're leading thousands of people astray by your heresy because you refuse to believe the full counsel of God's word. Get out. That dude, I don't, want to, I don't want to be in anybody's shoes when I stand before the Lord. I'm not even sure I want to be in my own shoes, but I certainly don't want to be in that dude's shoes. And you don't either. It's, it's a scary, we can, believe, we can believe the full counsel of God's word, and we must. So when God makes a covenant, he takes it seriously, and we should too. And so they're all, the all scripture, Old and New Testament's all woven together. And so we see this rainbow around God's throne that is pointing us back to the first mention of the rainbow, that covenant that God made with Noah that protected Noah from the judgment that God poured out on the earth in the form of a flood and destroyed everything except for what was on the ark. God is on the throne and in control. Number one, we must honor him as God. Number two, we must accept his covenant. God has made a covenant with all who put their trust in Jesus. So if you put your trust in Jesus, God has made a covenant with you. I was talking with somebody last week and they said, well, I asked him, I said, have you given your life to Jesus? He starts dancing around the question. I said, no. 
Have you given your life to Jesus? Because what he was saying is, I, I, ha- I, 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 I think I have, but I haven't lived very well. I said, well, don't confuse salvation with sanctification. Have you given your life to Jesus? Start there, give your life to Jesus, and then the process of sanctification will be the process that you walk out the rest of your whole life. You're just getting sanctified, becoming more and more like Jesus every single day, less and less like your old man. And even when you stumble, you're learning something about your human nature. And when you stumble, you're learning something about not only your human nature, but the grace of God. And so you're growing even in your stumbling. Somebody said, well, if I, if I fall, I'm going to fall forward. Like, I'm going to fall toward Jesus, right? I'm not sure exactly what that means, but I think I kind of, you know, it's like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm, whatever and everything. Whose phone is that? Is that my phone? Tim, right there on the, I turned that thing down. Hold on. I'm, I'm curious who's calling me. Santa Maria. I'm not putting them on speaker. Thank you. That's embarrassing. If you have your phones, I'm just going to turn it off really quick. I had the volume all the way down. I thought. Yeah. (laughs) God is on the throne and in control, number one, we must honor him as God. Number two, we must accept his covenant. God has made a covenant with all who put their trust in Jesus. And so the covenant is based on the righteousness of God, the completed work of Jesus on the cross. So start there. And again, we get the gospel all mixed up. We think, oh, I got to go, I got to get my life all cleaned up. And then I'll give my life to Jesus. The gospel says that you actually can't get your life cleaned up. It's impossible. Remember the commandments, they were given but not so that we would do them, but see, we'd recognize the holiness of God and recognize that it's impossible. It's an impossible list. And so we, we, don't, we just come to Jesus broken and in all of our warts and above everything that's in our life, and we just say, okay, I'm moving forward with Jesus. We must accept his covenant defined, as defined by him, not as defined by you and your humanist perspective and understanding. You must accept the covenant that he's defined, the way that he's defined it. 1 Corinthians 11, this is a little bit, little bit of information that we shared last week as well. 1 Corinthians 11 talks about a new covenant based on the death of Jesus on the cross. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three through 26, and this is the passage that we read every communion Sunday. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That's the covenant's based on his good works because it could never be based on my good works or yours. All have sinned, all fall short. Back to Revelation 4, verse 3. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Emeralds were used in the garments that the priests of God wore in the Old Testament. Emeralds are also talked about in Revelation 21 in the description of the new heavens and the new earth. And so there's some kind of holy significance connected with emeralds. And so we see this rainbow with the color of uh, 
emerald. It's just this beautiful picture that speaks of God's covenant and God's holiness and God's perfection and God's plan. So we see all of these elements that John's talking about, elements that communicate something of God's character and nature. These things speak to us about who God is. And so we can kind of gloss over all of these all of these different things in scripture but they it's helpful to stop and that's so that's why I said last week um, to get ready you've got to do you guys remember the points from last week I'm trying to remember right now so get read the bible study the bible and believe the bible like so get something to help you understand passages of scripture that you're struggling to understand so that you can not just read it but study it and then choose to believe it Revelation 4.4, around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. So in Scripture, elders always speak, it's always talking about human, human beings. Some would say maybe these are angels. Elder, if you look at the full counsel of God, every time there's an elder spoken of, it's about a human being. Uh, Haley Bible Notebook notes, most interpreters consider the 24 elders. So who are these 24 elders? They represent God's people glorified, 12 patriarchs and 12 apostles, signifying the union of God's people in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Some would say, you don't need the Old Testament. You need the Old Testament. The New Testament is completion, fulfillment of the old. You need to have the foundation of the old so that you understand what God is doing in the new and so don't, if somebody tells you you don't need the Old Testament, turn them off. This guy that I'm telling you about, he's telling you that you don't need the Old Testament. Don't ever listen to him. Should I give his name? Yes. Uh, let me think about him. <laughs> uh, Andy Stanley. Don't ever listen to Andy Stanley. He is a heretic going down the wrong path. I'm just telling you, listen to what he says. All right, I'm not going to say his name. Here we go. This, I tell you what, this job gets more difficult as time goes on. It, it gets more difficult. So John observes the 24 elders having their crowns in this scene. This is more from Haley Bible Handbook. And we know from Luke 24, 14 that the believers will be repaid, crowned, at the resurrection of the righteous. And when the chief shepherd appears, they will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. You read about that in 1 Peter 5, 4. The elders ultimately cast their crowns at Christ's feet in worship and adoration. We see that in Revelation 4 coming up 10 through 11. So we need to understand that worship and adoration will be eternally offered to God. I feel like I need to address the whole Andy Stanley thing real quick. So listen, it's not our... <clears throat> purpose to call people out. But I was playing golf with a guy recently and uh, I'm like, hey, where do you go to church? He's like, I, I, don't, I don't go to church. I just listen to Andy Stanley on the, on the radio or on TV or whatever. I'm like, dude, seriously, two problems there. You need to be in church and you can't listen to people who don't believe the full counsel of God's word. So I'm, not, I, I'm, I'm praying for Andy that he turns around. Because he's leading thousands, like 30,000 people a week in his churches. And the church continues to grow when he's believing heresy, 
ridiculous stuff. So be on guard just because a guy's got a big church with a big name. You have to, you have to measure what he's saying against the word of God. And be okay with disagreeing with him and shutting him off. Maybe some of you are here disagreeing with me and shutting me off right now. And that's, that's okay. That's okay. So be careful who you're listening to. The church world is full of people who are beginning to slip. All right. Enough of the Andy Stanley stuff. Okay, enough of that. Worship and adoration will be eternally offered to God. That's what these elders were doing. The elders were dressed in white, white garments. We're also talked about in Revelation chapter 7. They speak of the victorious, those who have overcome, those who have had their, their robes washed in the blood of the Lamb. Those who have had their... And if you're a believer in Jesus... To have your robes washed in the blood of the Lamb, it means that you've been cleansed by the blood. Jesus shed his blood on the cross so that your sins could be cleansed. So maybe a strange picture um, that our sins can be washed away by blood, but that's, that's the gospel, that Jesus shed his blood for my sins. Revelation 4, 5, from the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. Oh, we are out of time already. Holy cow. So this physical phenomenon proceeding from the throne expresses God's power and majesty. And, and maybe we'll wrap up with this. When Moses brought the people, so Old Testament again, helping us to understand what's going on in the New Testament. When Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, they experienced a similar expression of the power and majesty of God. And we see this in Exodus chapter 19. 16 through 19, on the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. So this is the picture, right? So that all the people in the camp trembled. Why did they tremble? They trembled at the presence of God. <laughs> they trembled at the presence of God. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. So the seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God, which we've talked about in this study, in verse 5, they represent the Holy Spirit. In verse 6, and before the throne there was, as it were, the sea of glass like crystal. Like crystal. And this is, I'm going to end with this verse, and then we'll pick up the rest of it next week. What is this sea of glass like crystal? This sea of glass-like crystal probably represents the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you look in Exodus, where is it? Exodus 30, um, there was this bronze basin um, that the priests needed to cleanse themselves, purify themselves in, by using the water within this bronze basin to wash their hands and their feet. And they needed to do this before ministering before the altar of God. And so this sea of glass like crystal is it's no longer liquid um, 
and, and it, but it's solid like so it's it speaks i think of the finished work of jesus so like there's no need because we've been washed by the blood of the lamb so there's no need for us to go through rituals or um, a washing a physical washing because we've been spiritually washed by jesus and so we, we see this, every element, every picture, everything that is, that is talked about in Revelation chapter 4, it's speaking, it's, it's clearly communicating the gospel. It's reminding us that God is on the throne and that he can be trusted. And so I think we're going to stop right there um, before we get into the four living creatures. The four living creatures also points us back to Genesis so the end of the book is connected to the beginning of the book. And everything in between matters and, and connects. You, you, you connect the dots uh, when you're reading the scripture by understanding the full counsel of God's word. I feel like, is that good? Yeah, let's go ahead and stand up. Let's go ahead and stand up. So if nothing else today, I hope that uh, our minds are like opened up and that we see God in, um, in, in the right light, that we see him in the right light. Let me have that water really quick here. We see him in the right light. Thanks, Barry. Um, and that you're walking in that right light, um, understanding the holiness of God, but then also um, giving yourself a ton of grace. <laughs> Don't we need that? We just need a ton of grace. Because when I compare myself to someone else or them to me, they might feel holy. Pretty good. In fact, I was talking with a guy this week and we were in line getting tacos and he was telling me a story. I said, are you a believer? He said, no, I'm, I'm, I'm more of a, I believe in the science of it all. Like, dude, have you read the scientific evidence for the Bible? <laughs> He's like, oh, yeah, yeah. He's like, the truth is, I, I do more good than most Christians. And I said, you're probably right. Because he was doing a lot of really good stuff. And so when he compares himself to me, he feels pretty good. But when he compares himself to, to Jesus, he's got nothing. Bless you. He's got nothing. When we compare ourselves to one another, we, we feel, or we, we need to recognize the perfection and beauty of Jesus and then give ourselves a lot of grace and others. Lord, help us to do that, we pray. Yeah. God, we want to, we, we love you, and so we want to obey your commandments, Lord. But I know. This is a tough world to live in, <laughs> tough place to be, Lord, and some days just don't go very well. And so, Lord, help us not to wander from you, but to, to move towards you in those times and just share the frustration of this journey with you so that you can reassure us, love us, point us in the right direction, move us forward by your grace from that place. Thank you, Lord. We love you. Bless your name, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship.